This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're honored to welcome a leading thinker in the public policy arena, a prolific writer, and a trusted ally in strengthening America's ties with Israel. Gal Kalev joins us from Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. Gal Kalev is a former Wall Street investment banker who has been researching Herzl and Zionism. Growing up in Tel Aviv and serving in the Israeli army, he then lived in New York and now resides in Jerusalem. He spent time in Europe and has traveled through the American and European countryside, learning about contrasting worldviews. He is the chairman of the America-Israel Friendship League, think tank, which explores Zionism and Judaism, and has been writing analysis articles about Zionism, Europe, and global affairs for the Jerusalem Post, the Jerusalem Report, and other media groups. Gal Kalev has participated at Jerusalem Leaders Summit events in Israel from its launch in 2015 and moderated and led strategic sessions. And we have appreciated his partnership over the years in advancing our shared values and principles. And without any further delay, good morning and welcome, Gal. Welcome, Gal. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Natasha and I were just commenting before we got on air about our first uh, meeting way back in 2015 in Jerusalem uh, when you approached us and we had a wonderful sit down of uh, sharing our vision and mission of the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. And now we've turned the table. So this gives us an opportunity to engage in a conversation with you today. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a wonderful few years. Yeah. Well, Gal, on October 19, 2018, you wrote a commentary in the Jerusalem Report, one of our favorite publications in Israel with editor-in-chief Steve Lindy at the helm, with the title, Jewish Transformation Judaism with a subhead, Zionism, the national expression of Judaism, is becoming its primary organizing principle. And one may consider this article as a preamble to the book that you wrote. Gal, what led you to write this commentary piece in the Jerusalem Report, and why author a publishing work titled Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism? I have uh, over now uh, 10 or 15 years uh, have been um, uh, believing and um, having discussions about this, about my view that Judaism is going through a historic transformation and Zionism is becoming its anchor. Uh, whether, some, whether one likes it or not, Zionism is becoming the most relevant aspect of Judaism and the primary way in which both Jews and non-Jews relate to Judaism, whether it's in the positive or in the negative. Uh, and um, I've done this um, uh, organically. I'm from Israel, and I served in the Israeli army, and after that I uh, studied in the States and worked on uh, Wall Street for many years, 
traveled around the world in that capacity uh, and met people from different uh, walks of life and different geographies and different backgrounds. Um, I realized that people, when they think of Jews or, or, or Judaism, they think more and more of it in the context of Israel. Uh, so I uh, delved uh, about uh, 11, 12 years ago on a mission to study this and to research this. I wrote a number of position papers in the America Israel Friendship Group. I wrote the Jerusalem Report article, which you correctly stated uh, was sort of uh, an early, uh, I'd say even a trial balloon of the book to kind of get some uh, some last minute reactions from people. I've chaired this think tank that you've mentioned where we had discussions for a while with people from all sorts of backgrounds about this thesis that uh, Judaism is transforming uh, and Zionism is becoming its anchor. Uh, so uh, finally, uh, this year in 2022, a few months ago, I published this book where it basically puts the totality and the thesis in one place uh, that Judaism is transforming and Zionism is becoming its anchor. I give the historical context, but I also show uh, through analysis of both Jewish centers and non-Jewish centers how uh, both in Israel and the United States and around the world this is um, is evident. And then eventually I discuss what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean uh, if we accept uh, or as I argue that there already is an acceptance that Zionism is becoming the anchor of Judaism. What does it mean uh, in particular to the growing uh, existential threat to Judaism of Israel bashing, uh, which has replaced traditional anti-Semitism as the, the currency and the form of opposition to Judaism? Egal, um, just from your excellent book, Judaism 3.0, uh, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism, uh, you actually lead us through the transformation. As you say, Judaism 3.0 is a recognition that the organizing principle of Judaism has shifted from its religious element, which is rabbinic Judaism, to its national element, which is Zionism, with Israel being the physical manifestation of Judaism. Uh, you start with the organizing principle of 1.0, which was the temple in Jerusalem and the physical presence in Judea. Then, when temple was destroyed and Jews exiled, Judaism adopted a new organizing principle, Rabbinic Judaism. Could you share with our listeners about this transformation and your findings? You know, it's interesting. I get that that's very simplistic, but I get two sets of reactions. One is like, wow, this is revolutionary. Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is groundbreaking. And the other is like, this is so obvious. The Jews were in Israel, in, in Judea. Judaism 1.0, they left, they spent 2,000 years in exile, so obviously it was a different type of Judaism, and now they're back. So of course Judaism is transforming, of course Judaism is Zionism, of course we think of Jews through Israel. So it's kind of interesting that you get those two sets of reactions, but uh, as Natasha, as you correctly stated, up to uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Judaism was anchored uh, in the physical presence in Judea, in the, in, the, in the temple, in the ritual of the sacrifices. And when uh, the invaders uh, from Europe, when the Romans came in and, and, and kicked us out and destroyed the temple, uh, Judaism needed to transform in order to survive. Uh, and it did. Uh, the, in a religious point of view, as you stated, uh, the, the synagogue basically replaced the temple and the structural prayers replaced the sacrifices as a way to worship. Uh, the uh, oral Torah was canonized. Uh, there was a system for Jewish laws, the halacha. Uh, but from a national point of view, the insular life, the ghetto that Jews lived in, mostly in Europe, about 80-90% of Jews lived in Europe during most of, the, of this time, that ghetto became sort of a substitute for the physical presence in Judea. And that uh, ritualistic yearning to go back to Jerusalem, the dream that we will be back in Zion one day, uh, that replaced the physical presence here. So you had a different type of Judaism that was developed in the diaspora, basically, and in, mostly in Europe. Uh, over the last 2,000 years, and that's Judaism 2.0. And that that held, that that was fine as long as it's 
two um, it's a key elements were in place. The religious element, meaning that until 100 or 150 years ago, uh, the vast majority of Jews were religious. That was a strong enough anchor to hold them in. And they were insular. They couldn't get out. The Jew could not get out of, could not leave Judaism. That was a strong enough uh, organizing principle of Judaism. Today, Jews are uh, predominantly secular and they're, they're no longer insular. Uh, but on the other hand, the national aspect of Judaism uh, has been dramatically augmented when Israel, the Jewish state, was established. But it took another 70 or 75 years for this transformation to take place, uh, both because transformation of this magnitude takes a long time, uh, but uh, also because there are various hurdles that I discuss in the book that prevented um, this transformation from taking place, such as the original uh, over-association of Zionism with secularism in Israel and, and other aspects. But uh, I'm showing that now those hurdles are removed and more and more of the world's engagement with the Jews and with Judaism is happening through Israel and through Zionism, the national aspect of Judaism. Agal, in your excellent piece that you, you published in Jerusalem Report in October 2018, you said, Zionism could not be the organizing principle of Judaism when Israel was so closely associated with secularism. But as Israel further democratizes, there is a shift of power and narrative from the secular minority towards the religious traditional majority. At the same time, secular Israelis are increasingly embracing Jewish religiosity on their own terms while remaining secular. Egal, it appears that in America we are experiencing the trend in the opposite direction, whereby secular Americans are increasingly rejecting Christianity and Judeo-Christian values. Gal, what would you describe as main elements that contribute to secular Israelis increasingly embracing Jewish religiosity? Right. So I think part of it is just um, sort of like going back to their natural self. Just to kind of take a step back, when Zionism was launched by Theodor Herzl uh, in Basel in 1897, he went out of his way to ensure that Zionism will not do anything to damage the religious aspect of Judaism. Zionism was established as a Jewish concept. Uh, but over the years, after Herzl's time, as Zionism has basically migrated from the mind and vision of one person into uh, a party, into, into there was a lot of parties, there was a lot of movement, and the old joke, uh, when you have three Jews, you'll have at least six opinions. Uh, so there was a lot of views and parties that were formed within Zionism, and the one that took power through election in the 1930s uh, was uh, a revolutionary party led by uh, Ben-Gurion that was socialist, and for them, they were rebelling against the old Jews. They were rebelling against the Jew uh, in the diaspora, the miserable Jew that didn't fight and, and kind of like w was weak. Uh, and part of the things that they were rebelling against was the religious aspect of the Jews. So there was sort of like rebelling against the past. And that became the predominant ethos uh, in Israel starting in the you know early mid part of the 20th century. But this is in spite of the fact that only for a few decades, Israel had a secular majority. Uh, only um, uh, really between roughly 1920 and roughly 1950. Uh, in the 1950s, uh, after Israel was established, there was a mass migration, uh, predominantly from uh, the Middle East, Middle Eastern Jews, uh, who were religious, uh, or at least traditional, or became traditional after uh, after a while. So, uh, so there was this sort of like pressure uh, in Israel in the uh, you know 50s, 60s, 70s to say, well, if you're a Zionist, if you're part of us, then you should uh, suppress your religiosity. And I think what we're seeing now is 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 sort of like a swing back. Uh, a lot of secular Israelis are, are saying, well, they're sort of rebelling against the rebels. They said, well, you, you went too far at stripping the Jewish religion out of Zionism. 
and we want to consume more. For example, on Yom Kippur, I was just uh, told uh, that in Tel Aviv, you had thousands of people uh, in Dizengov uh, Square uh, coming for uh, a, a fully religious Yom Kippur ceremony. That's maybe uh, an obvious example, but you see secular Israelis uh, study the weekly Torah portions. You see secular Israelis uh, engaging in, in Jewish uh, rituals and learning. And mostly uh, secular Israelis uh, are believers. There are very few real atheists in Israel. Sometimes people say they're atheists and you ask them, do you believe in God? And it says, of course I believe in God. And do you fast on Yom Kippur? Of course I fast on Yom Kippur. So sometimes people maybe use the word as, a, as, as an expression of uh, being non-observant. But um, the Israeli uh, uh, shift uh, amongst the secular uh, minority, which is roughly 40, 45 percent, the shift from more, from uh, a fashion of rejection of religion to a fashion of embrace of religion uh, is definitely something that's been happening over the last few years, and that enables the transformation of Judaism because, uh, as as you mentioned earlier, Zionism cannot be the organizing principle of, of the Jewish nation religion uh, if it's associated with extreme secularism. Now it's no longer is, and at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, there's a shift of power and ethos from the uh, secular minority that held power from the early 30s, uh, uh, at least politically till uh, the late 70s, towards uh, a more democratic expression where the majority of uh, Israelis who are either religious or traditional are, are not just in government, but you know they're more in media, they're more uh, in the academia. Uh, and that's something that's uh, relatively new that we're saying. Gal, you say in your book, the establishment of the Jewish state provides a physical point of orientation and tangible mechanism to relate to Judaism. You just mentioned that. In fact, you say for many American Jews, criticism of Israel has become the primary Jewish-related activity. Yes. In another excerpt, you say North America is indeed a home to over 80% of diaspora Jews. Yes. And for American Jews, happiness is replacing sadness. Sadness. Wonder Woman is replacing Yentel. Strength is replacing victimhood. American Jew can now connect with Israel via technology and innovation, entrepreneurship, Israeli wine, Israeli soldiers, Israeli culture. Gal, how do you explain then this criticism of Israel, as you say, by many American Jews? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, uh, so I think from a descriptive, factual point of view, this cannot be ignored. I mean, if you if you would map out uh, an, you know, the American Jews' uh, Judaism-related activities on a daily or weekly basis, then, then Israel will be on the, on the top of it, whether it's in the positive, uh, watching a Netflix uh, Israeli uh, series like Fauda or, or Stissel, or whether it is uh, consuming Israeli wine, or whether it's yeah, criticizing Israel. Uh, there is no doubt an Israelization of the American Jewish experience Let's get filter fish more falafel, if you will. And as you said, um, you know, Barbara Streisand and Yentel maybe were uh, Woody Allen were uh, characters that Jews admired, and maybe they depicted the Jew, uh, you know, 30 years ago. But today, I think most Jews would rather think uh, when they think of a role of a Jewish role model, they rather look at Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot and and, and things that are more associated with uh, positive and strength. But there's no doubt that this criticism thing. um, it's quite something. I think that that too is an indication of the transformation, meaning I have a lot of friends uh, in New York and in LA and other places uh, that are Jewish, uh, and they don't go to synagogue and they don't, uh, just to be that they would connect with the Holocaust when the, when the, the Holocaust uh, survivors uh, were in their lives, when, when, when everybody had a grandmother or an aunt who was a Holocaust survivor. But now, sadly, as this generation passes away uh, and as the, immigra- the Yiddish kind of Jewish grandmothers uh, generation uh, passes away, uh, then that's not a connector either. 
so they don't engage in anything that's really Jewish, uh, except when they read an article in the New York Times about Israel or settlements or Gaza, uh, and they write a Facebook post that says, as a Jew, I'm embarrassed about Israel. Uh, so I've, you know, a lot of those posts with various uh, forms and, 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 and languages, but basically as a Jew, uh, and here's the criticism about Israel. So this is the only time they say as a Jew. Uh, through criticism of Israel. And you know what? That too is a way to connect to your Judaism through Israel. And Theodor Herzl, the visionary of Zionism, predicted that. Uh, he said that how do you know uh, where you have a powerful ideal like Zionism is that you cannot be neutral to it. You can either be for it or against it. It, it evokes emotions, it evokes passions. And that's exactly what Zionism uh, is doing now. Uh, Natasha, something um, that maybe can be described as a miracle happened uh, a few months ago in Chicago. A, a reform synagogue uh, got uh, a lot of Jews to come to synagogue because of Zionism. Zionism did something that that you know hasn't been done in a long time because Jews, most um, Jews in America, the surveys uh, uh, indicate that uh, the non-Orthodox Jews are only about fifteen percent of them go regularly once a month or so to synagogue. The vast majority of them go once a year or never go. Uh, but Zionism brought them in in the synagogue in Chicago because they uh, got together and decided that they're going to pass a resolution that not only that they're anti-Zionist, anti-Zionist, but anti-Zionism is a core value of our synagogue. So finally, Jews came to synagogue to have the debates and lectures and votes and resolutions and in and out. Uh, so Zionism brought them back in this case in the negative to declare that they're anti-Zionist. Not that that really matters because. Uh, I'm sure that if you uh, uh, do a survey of the random American and say, XYZ synagogue, uh, is it a Zionist synagogue? Then what, I don't know, 70, 80, 90% will say, sure, it's a synagogue. Uh, Herzl, Theodore Herzl, the visionary of Zionism, showed that it's uh, impossible to divorce yourself from the most relevant aspect uh, of Judaism. Uh, so uh, I think this is most like a, mostly an internal uh, thing. You know, it doesn't help the way that people perceive you. Uh, but uh, whether it's outright, whether it's what I'd call legitimate criticism that I would disagree with, but criticism uh, which would be welcome, or whether it's just like sort of uh, uh, nearly childish things like resolutions that, uh, you know, we're the, uh, you know, uh, anti-Zionist is, is our core value or some, some, some declarations like that. It is Zionism that is bringing back the American Jew into his Judaism. Gal, according to Pew Research, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world and 1.8 billion Muslims. By 2050, the projections are that Christians will comprise of over 3 billion, or one-third of the world's population. And the reason for bringing this up is the relationship of Jews and Christians, which over the centuries, specifically in Eastern and Western Europe, was actually fraught with pogroms and discriminatory laws, anti-Semitic laws, and the dark period of the Holocaust whereby six million Jews were killed. However, post-World War II, we have witnessed efforts of conservatives and Christians in America, Europe, Asia, Latin America, and Africa take a very different approach. In fact, in America, the evangelical Christian population were part of the movement to encourage the movement of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And it's interesting to note that Dr. Andrew Wilson, editor of International Religious Foundation, in 1991 wrote a piece on Judaism and Christianity. And I'll just like to briefly quote his statement. I quote, Judaism and Christianity are two monotheistic ethical religions which share a part of their scriptures in common. The Bible or Tanakh of the Jews is the Old Testament of the Christians, unquote.
Now, the Old Testament was scripture for Jesus and his followers who were themselves Jews and Christians today in the 21st century adhere to the sacred books of Judaism, the Old Testament. Gal, what would you suggest as the book's appeal, Judaism 3.0, to America's enlightened conservatives and Christians of the Catholic and evangelical movement who are strong supporters of Zionism? Yeah, that's a very good question because we have a very strong following in the evangelical community. But by the way, not only in the evangelical community, this book is structured to be non-political. And part of the analysis that I do to prove the thesis that Zionism is becoming the anchor of Judaism is go over an analysis of trends in America and an analysis of trends in Christianity because Jews have often been defined from the outside. So we need to understand what's happening in the world and we need to understand what's happening in America in order to understand where, what is the state of Judaism, uh, and if it is, as I'm claiming, uh, Zionism is becoming its organizing principle. So, you know, so both, uh, I think when it comes to uh, Christianity, there has always been a very uh, subtle dynamics of, uh, of the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion, because Jesus was part of the Jewish nation. Nobody doubts that. Uh, but Jesus was not part of the Jewish religion in the way that we know it now, in the way it evolves, because it didn't, uh, you know, Judaism 2.0 wasn't fully developed yet. Uh, it was still uh, what I call Judaism 1.0, anchored in the temple and the ritual of the sacrifices and the physical presence in Judea. So the uh, shift of what is Judaism from having its anchor in the religious aspect that um, that, that the Christian, the Christian sometimes has a, uh, you know, a friendly uh, contention with, uh, to the national aspect that is uh, integral to what Christianity is, because uh, uh, Jesus was part of the Jewish nation, uh, I think that enables and facilitates uh, the process that we've seen for a long time, which is the getting close and closer and closer between Jews and Christians. Uh, it also creates clarity because, um, you know, Christians love the Jews, but they want to stay Christians, and Jews love the Christians and love the love that we're getting from the Christians, but we want to stay Jews and distinct. So once it's clear that Judaism is a nation, that Zionism, the national expression of Judaism is its anchor, then it provides this clarity and sort of this safe space, if you would like to call it, for those uh, for getting even closer and closer between Jews and Christians. And I explain that in the book. I have a chapter that describes that and uh, various uh, other uh, trends within Christianity. Cool. And also you described Europe's Israel bashing culture. And you say it is expressed in Europe's intense criticism of Israel's right to self-defense and in the fast expanding industry of blood libels originating once again in Europe, such as the genocide in Palestine and the massacre in Gaza. On the flip side, you say admiration of the Jewish state in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and through much of the Christian world translates into renewed admiration of Judaism. Gal, how do you explain this dichotomy? It's very interesting because I, I go over it in the book. It's not a politically correct thing to say, but uh, the history of opposition to Judaism and anti-Semitism is European. Uh, it started from Europe. It was fueled by Europe. I talked to some of my uh, uh, friends and clergy that says, well, no, Christian was, Christianity was hijacked by, by the Europeans to express uh, their opposition to Judaism, it wasn't organic, uh, you know, th that could be discussed and debated. But most of the Jews lived in Europe, so maybe that's natural. But the opposition to Judaism, uh, whether it's the religious opposition uh, that we had uh, through the Middle Ages until maybe the 18th, 19th century, uh, whether it's the secular opposition uh, with the development of the anti-Semitic movement uh, in the late 19th century, uh, and whether it's now 
the Israel bashing opposition, which is also being uh, funneled uh, from Europe and uh, expanded uh, through uh, what I call European, the Europe's sphere of influence around the world, including in the United States. Uh, this is uh, this is pretty serious because Israel bashing is a cancerous neo-religion. It's sort of like a paganic religion that sometimes it's a rites of passage to be included in certain social circles. Uh, you need to bash Zionism. You need to bash Israel. And I know it because I have friends who are part of those circles and I have acquaintances who are, who are, who are just that. It became a fashion. I Comparing the book, the early stages of the anti-Semitic movement in the late 1890s during Herzl's time and the still early stages of the Israel bashing movement uh, at our time in the 2020s. And the parallels are startling. You know, there's a lot of similarities and we all know uh, what happened. You know, Israel bashing is an existential threat uh, to Judaism, to Jews, including to Jews who bash Israel. We have, uh, as we speak, uh, an ongoing uh, multi-year uh, criminal investigation in international criminal courts, basically against all Israelis, against people who are uh, served in the army, which is all of us, about people who live in the settlements, who maybe purchase stuff in the settlement, which is everybody because the economy is integrated. So we don't know what this investigation is. And so there is a lot of opposition uh, that is the, the, the age-old opposition that was funneled towards Judaism through religion vehicles when Europe was religion and through uh, 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 sort of like national secular uh, uh, vehicles uh, in the late 19th century and early 20th century is now funneled through Israel, which also helps define Judaism from the outside. We're a lot of time defined by our adversaries. So Israel bashing, which is a very complex and we can have a whole discussion about it, I've written, I've written a series of articles about it, that basically our follow-up to the book, about how the mere recognition that we are in Judaism 3.0, that Zionism is the anchor of Judaism, uh, helps address this existential threat of Israel bashing. Because once you accept, as, as, I'm, as I'm arguing already happens, that Zionism is the anchor of Judaism, you can only be an Israel basher if you're okay being a Jew basher. You can only say uh, the Jewish state uh, commits crimes against humanity if you're okay saying, well, the Jews commit crimes against humanity. You know, once again, as we've been saying for 2,000 years, you know, if you're the, if you're the opposition. So uh, once there is this recognition, Israel bashing is not going to go away. Opposition to Judaism through Israel bashing is not going to go away, uh, but it's going to be less lethal because we have an asset now that we didn't have uh, in the past. And that is that it's not fashionable or politically correct to be anti-Jewish. It's fashionably, fashionable and politically correct to be anti-Zionist. So the, the Israel basher, the hater, has to stay in Judaism 2.0 so he can mask his opposition. So he can say, I love the Jews, but I hate the Zionists. Once there's a recognition that it's one and the same, that Zionism is the anchor of Judaism, then the Israel basher will not be able to hide behind it. He will need to say, I'm a Jew basher. And he's not going to say that because he knows that that will have consequences that could get him fired, that could get him outcasted. So uh, the book is not just um, an academic uh, discussion of where is Judaism, uh, that I'm arguing that Zionism is becoming its anchor. It's not just showing how the world relates to the Jews through uh, Zionism, but it also discusses the practical implications. It discusses how we, we can address the threat of Israel bashing, but it also discusses how we can unleash uh, the extraordinary opportunities uh, for the world to benefit from the crisp light that is beaming out of Zion. It's very intriguing. You've mentioned about what's transpiring and the realities on the ground as you speak about Europe and Israel. And as we look at what's happening on the European continent today, our eyes are focused on the Ukraine 
Russia conflict. Yeah. And one of the issues that we've all experienced is the fact that Europe's own decisions in the sense of Germany's own decisions of being energy dependent upon Russia is one of the greatest issues that has led to this conflict. Now, with Europe's energy crisis, your thoughts and, and do you think that attitudes will change when you review Israel's potential with its gas and oil discoveries in the Mediterranean and the future of connecting natural gas pipelines to Europe? And will the supply of energy to Europe and potential trade overcome Europe's disingenuous approach to Israel? So that's a great question because it goes back right into what Theodore Herzl, the visionary of Zionism, said. Uh, he understood that the Jewish state will exist not out of the moral obligation of Europe and the world nations, but it will exist because it will become the necessity of the world. Uh, Theodore Herzl recognized that once the Jews are emancipated for, from 2,000 years of European uh, obsessive persecution, once the Jews are allowed to live in their land, then they will make uh, uh, innovations that will advance humanity in an extreme ways. And therefore, uh, you can still be an Israel basher. You can still not like the Jews, but, you're, but you'll need them. Uh, you'll need them for the type of uh, stuff that you've uh, described. You'll need them for cybersecurity. And now Israel, I think uh, uh, the 25% of cybersecurity startups are in Israel. You'll need them for medical innovations. You need them to address famine because innovations from Israel turn air into water and, and end famine in, in certain places. So Israel is becoming the necessity of the world. This is basically peace through strength, not peace through strength in a military way, but peace through strength in a dialogical way with Europe. So this whole Israel bashing attitude on the one hand meets uh, what Herzl identified as the Jewish state being the necessity of the world, which it is today. Uh, and therefore, look, maybe it's just going to be a passing phenomenon depending until the next crisis. But we will probably see a dual track of criticism of Israel and things along those lines uh, while benefiting uh, from all the from everything that's coming out of all the light that's coming out of Zion. Right. And Gal, in a recent article, which was just published last week in the Wall Street Journal in October 2022, titled Stanford Apologizes to Jews. And it says that the advisory task force on the history of Jewish admissions found evidence of actions taken to suppress the number of Jewish students admitted to Stanford during the early 1950s. It also found out that members of the Stanford administration regularly misled parents and others who raised concerns about those actions. Now, it appears that there's still culture on campus so hostile to Israel that Jews who won't denounce the Jewish state can face harassment even today. Yes. Gal, what is your message to Stanford and other American universities which perpetuate campus culture hostile to Israel? Yeah, I mean, as you said, Stanford helps me, helps prove my thesis that we're in Judaism 3.0 because the opposition they had to the Jews uh, in the 1950s by not letting them in is now funneled through Israel, is now opposition through Israel. So, so okay, fine, you're a Jew, you can come in, but, but you have to speak ill about Israel. You have to bash Israel. This is, uh, helps define what Judaism is, because the opposition to Judaism, and this is, again, what Herschel identified, that's the origin of Zionism. Because in the, in the end of the 19th century, uh, a lot of people said opposition to Judaism or Jew hatred is over, because Jew hatred, as Joel, you pointed out earlier, uh, was funneled through the religious expression, because Europe was religious. So the opposition to Judaism was through religious currency and vehicles and, and, and analogies. Uh, you know, the, the Jews uh, 
use the blood of Christian children to make uh, ritual Passover matzahs. Uh, once Europe became secular, a lot of people thought that if you talk about uh, Jew hatred, you're paranoid. Uh, out of the blue came this new movement that was later called anti-Semitism. We now, you know, we use anti-Semitism, I guess, in the same way we use the word Xerox, to Xerox something. Anti-Semitism is a form of Jew hatred uh, that now we use it to describe the entirety of Jew hatred. But anti-Semitism was a, a movement that developed at the end of the 19th century in Europe in response to the emancipation of Jews, because now Jews, uh, you know, were free to, in certain parts of Europe, to work. Uh, they were in the cafes, you see them everywhere. Uh, they're in the stock market, they're amassing wealth. So there was a new form of opposition, and there was a debate at the end of the 19th century if anti-Semitism is the new uh, Jew hatred. And some Jews said, no, 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 and it's just anti-Semitism. It's just uh, opposition to us because we're too successful, or opposition to us because you know, maybe you do see us everywhere and there's too many Jews. And actually, it's not to us. It's to those uh, Russian immigrants, Russian Jews who are immigrating into Germany and France. So there was a debate that's very similar today. Uh, is Israel bashing the new anti-Semitism? Of course it is. Uh, and Stanford, uh, that you mentioned, is, is, is a great example. But not just Stanford. It's, it's campuses around the United States. What used to be a, a more uh, maybe subtle opposition to Judaism of not letting them in, not letting them into their fraternities till today, not letting them into the country clubs. Uh, now is is expanding into a much more lethal and direct opposition to Judaism through Israel. So, you know, anti-Zionism and Israel bashing, which are very prevalent on those campuses, and that is a very worrying threat. And that's why it is very important to recognize. So if you if you accept what I'm saying in the book, if you accept that Zionism is becoming the anchor of Judaism, it's important to distill this consciousness. So people on Stanford who says, oh, we're only going to accept you if you're anti-Israel, then just say it. We're only going to accept you if you're anti-Jewish. Bash the Jews and we'll take you in. Uh, once you understand that Zionism is the anchor of Judaism, those behaviors in Stanford uh, will, uh, at the minimum, subside because a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable saying, uh, I'm anti-Jewish and you need to be anti-Jewish in order to get into this club. Mm, Indeed. Right. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are joined by Gal Kalev. He's the author of Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism, which helped spark this extraordinary conversation, not only in Israel, uh, but around the world. And we're delighted to have this conversation with Gal Kalev. He argues that Judaism is in the midst of a historic transformation and explains how recognizing that Zionism is now the anchor of Judaism would have far-reaching implications in both countering existential threats to Judaism and unleashing opportunities opportunities. Uh, Gal, it is great to have you on America's Roundtable, and we'll just encourage our uh, listeners and engaged partners to certainly seek out the book on Amazon and other platforms, Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism. Thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you so much, Gal. Thanks for having me. It was great talking with you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adensami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at America's RT. 
We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.